Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I am Josh Elliott Wolf. Now that's an intro. That's now that's an intro? an intro. That's way better than what's up. Oh, oh yeah, it's Jamie, good to have Jamie you here, buddy. What's up. That is way better. Welcome. Huge improvement. Welcome to Canucks Talk. <laughs> I am Josh Elliott Wolf filling in for Jamie Dodd, who is on the uh, the morning show today. I, not just filling in, baby. Not just stepping filling up. in, stepping up, crushing it, nailing the intro. Uh, A big upgrade on Canucks Talk today. Canucks insider Thomas Chance <laughs> here with me. Read his work at The Athletic. Uh, Canucks Talk, by the way, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You can text in 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line, Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, a lot to get into today at 1 o'clock. Sean Gentilly of yeah. The Athletic is going to join us. My guy. Your guy. I love Sean Gentilly. Uh, we'll probably hear from Rick Tockett at some point as well. Canucks practicing as we speak. Well, and let's we should start there, right? Because Randeep Janda, our 650 colleague, is out at UBC for practice and it's an interesting one. No Tyler Myers. No Tyler Myers and no uh, Carson Soucy. No Carson Soucy. Injured on the exact same shift, by the way, yeah. which I've never seen before. I've never seen two defenders, both hobbled, unable to put weight on one leg, trying to get off the ice at the exact same time. Teddy Bluger, in his very first Canucks game, goes and stands at the blue line as they struggle, right? The Canucks sort of... Sort of Able to get the puck. There's like two forwards kind of chasing it down ice. And Teddy Bluger drops completely out of formation and just stands at the blue line just in case. Yeah. And right then and right there, I thought, that's why you go get Teddy Bluger. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was just awesome. That was like real sergeant stuff. Yeah. Um, from Bluger, super aware. I asked Myers about it post game. I chatted with Myers post game and he was laughing about it. Like, he was in good, na- he was in, um, he had a good sense of humor about the oddity of them both swimming and, and trying to survive. Um, commended Bluger, said, you know, that was smart, because we were, if the play had gone the other way, there was nothing either of us could do. And look, he didn't seem too much worse for wear when I chatted with him after the game in Montreal. He was definitely laughing about the circumstance, which is a good sign. He, he was able to finish the game. I knew that he would be okay once he took a twirl during a stoppage. Um... The fact that he's not out, though, doesn't surprise me because it was clear that he didn't feel great. Like, it was clear that he didn't feel great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into, like, reinforcement on his ankle, although it was clear that they'd done some stuff to make him comfortable during the game. And I'm, I'm not surprised that he's not practicing today. I will be surprised if this is something significant, uh, unless, unless it was just so swollen and then you find out later. Because that yeah. does happen, especially with these, like, lower appendage injuries. Um, you know, the skate comes off, the swelling kicks in, you have to wait for the swelling to get down to test it. And then when you test it, it can be a lot better or a lot worse. Like that's where these day-to-day injuries become weak. Like that's where the Teddy Bluger thing, Mm -hmm. you know, became like a lengthy absence as opposed to a one practice absence. So I guess we'll see, but Vancouver rolling out the following defense pair, uh, defensive group, excuse me, at practice today. Again, per Randeep Janda, who you can follow on Twitter at, at Randeep Janda, Hughes Heronic, of course. 
Cole Juleson, that's the same third pair we saw in Montreal. Yeah. Akito Hirose, Mark Friedman. Um, if that's Van- if the Vancouver has to play a game or two with that defense core, you're going to see the seams. Yeah, it's it's not great. What I was kind of thinking about pre-show though is like, so you play the Islanders tomorrow, and then you play the Flames on Thursday. Are those the two games where that is going to get completely exposed? No. Like, I mean, those aren't, like, the greatest, deepest offensive teams, right? I think that's no. what you're getting at. Exactly. But both are teams that can control the game, right? Like, both of those teams can control the game against you. And while they're, while they're not, you know, in some ways, in some ways, if you're, like, if you're weaker on defense than you usually would be, does that mean that your advantage is like diminished further against an elite offensive team that can do damage against anybody? Or does it help a team that struggles to score a little bit more, more than it would one of those teams? Like there's a, there's a, there's a balance. There's a balance. I, I, fact is, is that I think, I think we saw in this road trip, frankly, and, and I think we've seen it, you know, for a while, like Cole Friedman were at such a high level for this team for a week to 10 days, but this is what happens, right? We had Jeremy Colleton on the show on Friday. He was talking about it. You have the adrenaline, right? You you have this desire to prove yourself. And Friedman was able to play at like genuinely the level of like a four or five defenseman for six, seven days. And then you have that game against the Oilers and his minutes dropped to 10 and he's frustrated about it. And he's out there ahead of practice in Canada working with Rick Tockett. And then the next day or the, uh, the next, um, the next game, he's fine. But mm-hmm. Toronto, you know, it's not his best game. And he's out of the lineup, right? And it's like the seams show quickly here, right? You might get a game or two where Hirose or Jul- – like, Juleson looked good against Montreal. He played well. Yeah. But we've seen this with Juleson before. Juleson's had weeks of good play. But sustaining that is sort of really difficult to do if you're not a credible, you know, two, three guy and are being asked to play second pair of minutes. And I think it's it's easier to insulate him with Ian Cole when you also had Carson Soucy and Tyler Myers playing as well. Totally. Then then it's just like, hey, limit his minutes, work it out, and you put out Soucy and Myers, and it's fine. Let's not ignore it, too. Like, Soucy was playing some really good hockey. Mm-hmm. Like, really good hockey. And Tyler Myers' game had bounced back, too, right? Like, these guys had become important. So... We'll see what the Canucks blue line looks like when they take the ice for morning skate. Probably be an optional morning skate, so I guess we won't get to read too much into it tomorrow ahead of the game against the Islanders. But, um, yeah, I mean, a test potentially coming to Vancouver's depth on the back end uh, this week. And the uh, the benefit they'll have tomorrow that they won't have Thursday is they will have last change as well. So you can kind of hopefully match up a little bit better. Well, and that's a big deal, right? So... This is my first time on the show since I got back from Montreal. I had some travel delays that kept me off of, or some travel logistical complications that kept me off of the radio yep. yesterday. Um, so I have some observations, some stuff from the road trip. Um, empty my notebook and, and sort of share it. Cool. I want to start, though, with you mentioned last change, right? I've talked about this before, and it's something that, you know, I go out on the road. I watch the Canucks play three games, and... I wasn't that impressed by how the team looked across the three games, like on balance. Were you? I was not, especially the first two games. Especially the first two games, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and the Montreal game was definitely better, no question. There's this level that this team had been at, and I'd go from like the Nashville game that closed their road trip, but it's like you go know, that Nashville game, that St. Louis win, that Rangers win, you know, the Sharks snow day, <laughs> the Dallas win, 
Um, and then the Edmonton win, and it's like, man, that's a really good run of play, right? That's like a six or seven game stretch where the Canucks they were controlling play. They were control. Well, they were starting to, you know, get my attention and my curiosity, right? Like yeah. it was like, oh my god, what's going on here? But I think if you think about the season in full, and we're at what fourteen games now, so we still need we still are learning a lot about this team, even though they've spotted themselves a really good lead. The games before that Nashville game and those, these three games that we just saw them play, to me, those are like, it's like we've seen seven games where this team's looked great, and we've seen seven games where I think you can see the seams a bit, where, where things look a little bit more pedestrian. And what's interesting about that is, for the most part, their pedestrian play has been isolated firmly to the road. Mm-hmm. Firmly to the road. At home, they've been exceptional in the early going, and on the road, their record is still good, but their play, their actual form... I think has been iffy, inconsistent, uh, far more, far more like median or or middle of the road, mid. Let's just go with mid. I do think that this is what happens. Like two two things to watch for are one, the Canucks have unique travel, um, like travel complications, just having to travel more than most teams and and being located on the West Coast. And the road trips, both of them have been out east. Out east, and and their worst performances have come in the first game. Right? As they've, like, mm-hmm. figured out the time zone change. So, one is, this is a built-in struggle or a built-in disadvantage that is true for the Canucks and will always be true for the Canucks. And all you can do is mitigate it as best you can. You're, you're never going to eliminate it. But the other is, you know, it's a relatively shallow team. Right? They're pretty dependent on, on the top end of their lineup. And when you don't control the matchups, you know, I, I wonder how much of an impact that has. And this sort of dovetails into my second observation from the road trip, which is JT Miller's reached a, the level as a two-way centerman right now that the Maple Leafs like actively and with extreme discipline ducked the head-to-head matchup between Matthews and Miller all night on Saturday. Like they were willing to have Matthews log less ice time overall to avoid that matchup. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable and a massive credit to how JT has played at center, where, I, where I've tended to think he's not as well suited. But the last 50 games under Tockett, I think, have really shown something to us all, right? Like, Miller had successes as a center under Bruce Boudreaux, but most of that success was offensive. Um, the year prior, he was occasionally used at center when injuries piled up, especially to Elias Patterson, and the defensive results were, like, not good. Um, and then early in last season, for the first 30 games of the year, 40 games of the year, before Boudreaux shifted him back to wing, like the defensive results were appalling. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at this, and I was looking at the Wowies and looking at just the underlying data, and I, I saw like almost 100 games of Miller being productive offensively but permissive defensively when he played center. And I was like, that's not who this guy is. You put this guy on the wing, he's a stud driver. And at center, it seems like he's really struggling to play with the puck. You know, this is... This is it. Like, this guy should probably play on the wing. Since Tockett's come in, it's a totally different ballgame for JT as a two-way player, and that's the ultimate sign of respect from the Maple Leafs. We're not even going to put literally the best goal-scoring center in hockey out against you if we can avoid it. Unbelievable and a testament to where he's come. Um, I, I, I did talk to him for five minutes in Toronto, by the way, and I asked him about how quiet it's been around him, if that's helpful, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's been probably months since someone in your family texted you a trade rumor and asked if it was true. 
Yeah, it's been honestly since uh, since the season started. Even in the off season, it's been way calmer around JT well, the, than it has been in the, a while. The the only print material change is the NMC, right? Mm-hmm. And I asked him about that one, and he went, "Well, it doesn't change anything for me at work because I never thought I was going to get traded. But at home, yeah, it's nice, right? Like right. the stability, the the certainty of stability. I, I do think matters for a player's home life. But Miller was always pretty confident that he wasn't going anywhere. I think he found it annoying. I don't think it. I don't think it really bothered him. Um, I pitched him on this was the best defense you've ever played at center, and I think he agrees to some extent. But the real commentary that he gave that I thought was really interesting was he said. You know, when you're losing, and when we were losing last year, and I was getting frustrated about it and trying to do too much, and it became this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, he felt like his season got defined by others for, like, a couple of bad moments that he doesn't think tell the full picture of how he performed or who he is as a player. We can all think about it, Delia, the back checks, on and on. Mm -hmm. And he noted that when you're winning, it's the opposite. When you're winning, people are more likely to note the big goal you scored, right? The the pass you made on the power play, the good defensive check uh, you made as, as like what contributes to it. And, you know, I don't think he wanted to lump in the Oilers, but he did bring up like, look at what's going on in Edmonton and the way that those players are being talked about. They're great players, like some of the best in the league, mm-hmm. but look at how they're being defined by one or two moments of frustration right now. That's basically it. That's what happened to me. And I thought that was a pretty interesting observation. I then showed him the Dreisaitl interview, and I was like, <laughs> I will say it's nice to not be doing these with you this year, <laughs> JT. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting way of framing it from Miller. Definitely. It, it, and it's something that I think it's, it's hard to avoid regardless of – like when you're a notable player who plays with emotion, it's hard to avoid the major swings back and forth when the team is – either playing really well and like everybody's happy for you you're you're playing great you're getting all the credit but then when you're playing bad and if you're frustrated because you're playing bad which is natural i think you're also going to get the opposite and people are going to notice the mistakes much more often than they're going to notice the good you're doing because in the end it's resulting in the losses right i also think they're going to notice the moments of frustration mm-hmm. you know like those moments of like think about leon dreisaitl and the moment that he had with the islanders yesterday it's like, oh, this guy can't control his emotions. Well, your emotions are more likely to be frustration, right? And when they come out, they're more likely to be seen as like, you know, um, you know a causation doesn't apply correlation. Like the reason the team is losing is partly because of your lack of emotional maturity, right? Like that's the easy narrative, the easy thing to sell when a team is struggling and, and people are understandably mad about it. So I, I, th- I think that's what sort of he was getting at. And I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, way to frame it. Connor Garland, want to talk about Connor Garland real quick? I mean, I'm not saying that we're not going to see a Connor Garland trade at some point this year, but man, he's he was so good on this road trip. Yes. He was are. exceptional on the road trip. Mm-hmm. I think he's been one of Vancouver's best five on five players again this year. Production's not there because, well, that's what happens. He's like the only Canucks player who's not shooting like four times his career clip at five on five. And it does feel like that line is starting to get going a bit too, in terms of like actual production. They are, but they were also like, I mean, I think their five on five play as a line has just been generally good. Mm-hmm. And they were like the one line whom the bounces forgot for a long time. And now they're getting bounces. Yeah. Um, you know, Especially I, Pew Suter. Yeah, Pew Suter. for sure. Pew Suter. I mean, Pew Suter is a good player, but I also like, you're going to have another 10-game stretch where Pew Suter has two points. Mm-hmm. You know, like, 
you don't get Pew Suter to be a 35-point guy. No, but, like, I think he's... He could get there. I'm not he, saying he can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, you know, 25 to 35 points with decent defense is mm-hmm. what Pew Suter's here to do. For sure. He's not going to be a point producer. If he was, he'd be a top six center. Like, or, he'd be, you know, he'd be a top six guy. And he's a he's a definitive middle six guy. Um, Garland's another guy who I, I wanted to ask, you know, hey, like, now that the team's 11-3-1, where are you at? And... What I think is interesting about Garland is like there there's a difference that I think people lost between having permission through your representative to seek a trade and requesting a trade. You see what I'm saying? One yeah. is an active thing that a player does and the other is a mutual thing between parties. I still I I do get what you're saying, but I also think you as a player like you don't seek or get the permission to seek a trade with other teams unless you do want out to some extent yeah i mean there's no question though that this organization has been trying to, has, he's, yeah, has been making sure. him widely available like i don't think it reflects his happiness in vancouver i don't think it reflects his relationships on the team or his desire to be here i can tell you this this guy's having a blast like a lot of these players feel like this is the most fun they've ever had playing nhl hockey and understandably, especially in Garland's case, given that you know he was in Arizona for some of those lean years, mm-hmm. and now he's here, um, and he's been through a couple tough seasons, especially you know especially a couple tough starts. And if you're Garland too, you're probably like, oh man, they brought this coach in that I did well under in Arizona. Everything's looking up for well, Connor Garland. And there's a ton of regard between Garland and Rick Tockett, like that. You know, there's a lot of like I'd say genuine affection there. Anyway, it's been interesting for Garland, I think, because Garland feels genuinely like he never requested a trade. Mm-hmm. And so then for the reports to come out, like he has requested a trade and then he's grilled on it and he doesn't deny it explicitly, partly because he's not going to, he's a pretty private guy. He's not even going to countenance it. And then reports that like he's rescinded a trade request that he doesn't feel ever was given. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a funny sort of dynamic to be in. What I did think was interesting, though, is when it first came out and people were talking about it being a distraction, especially given that the Canucks have, like, finally had a drama-free training camp. Yeah, um, night before the season. Yeah, it's, it I out. mean, it sounds like he did take, like, some of the leadership group aside and be like, hey, like, I didn't request anything, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry that this has come out, and it was a non-issue. Just like, don't we we know you didn't. Don't worry about it. We know how this market is, <laughs> you yes. know? Yeah, and, and if you yeah. think about the Canucks, right, it's like, if, if you go up as a player to JT Miller and are like, hey, the media is making too big a deal about my trade status. <laughs> He's like, oh, know, I know. <laughs> you know Very aware. They don't do that here. This? Vancouver media? So anyway, I really liked his game all trip. And I've really liked, listen, Joshua Suter Garland on the ice for the Canucks. They played 73.2 minutes for Vancouver this season. 96 shot attempts for 53 shot attempts against. That's a 64.4 clip. Mm-hmm. That's huge. And by the way, it's not just that. Three goals for zero against. They haven't given up a single goal as a line yet. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is a huge thing for the Canucks because it's given them in Toronto, for example. Okay. So the Leafs take two instigator penalties with Ryan Reeves out of the lineup. And the story is. Because Toronto, I don't know why the Toronto media is like this, but the Toronto media is like congenitally unable to prioritize and focus on what matters, right? So yeah. the first period unfolds and everyone's like, oh, Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves is the story now. Well, the second period unfolds and 
Noah Gregor, <laughs> this fourth line <laughs> yeah. with McMahon, Gregor, and Camp scores the game winner and then adds the insurance marker in the third period. So it's like if your team play a usable fourth line, you have the goals that can result from playing an optimized lineup. And if your team need a tough guy, you can say the Canucks were felt four feet taller and were, and were running around on the Maple Leafs, and the Maple Leafs players don't even know how to respond without taking these instigator penalties. And it's like none of this matters. None of this matters. What matters is when, when Reeves came out of the lineup for McMahon, the Leafs had a fourth line that had a high enough baseline that on Saturday night, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and company were able to step on the ice and go out and win the game. They were better than Vancouver's best players that night, and they won the game. Mm-hmm. Well, this is what Suter, DiGiuseppe, sorry, this is what Suter, Joshua Garland have helped give the Canucks. All of a sudden, you've got this third line that goes out, and it's not that they're going to, like, Garland may have been, like, a key reason they won on Sunday, but for the most part, they're able to go out and play the game at a high enough baseline that you're not getting walloped when Quinn Hughes gets a breather. You're not getting walloped when JT Miller and Ilias Pettersson are, are not on the ice. And, and having raised that baseline gives Vancouver's best players a chance to win the game every night. Yeah. That's what matters. And one one thing, we, we talk about Garland, the other part of that line that I've been really encouraged by, like we talked about two-thirds of it, but Dakota Joshua as well. Since being scratched, I think he's he's been really good. In terms yes, of he's like, played well. he's, he's more physical, he's been more... He like we haven't seen the points and we haven't seen the points from much of that line in term like throughout the season, but I just think for a guy that people were considering as a potential scratch again when Teddy Bluger came back in the lineup, he's really asserted himself and been like, hey, like I deserve to stay in here. And like you mentioned, the numbers like that line has just been so good that it's it's to a lesser extent it's like the pdg to a much lesser extent it's like the pdg miller besser line where you're like we could make changes but why would we because this team or this line is playing so well right now it is it, so long as they're scoring enough so long as di giuseppe's not viewed as like holding the club back five on five in terms of offense you know what i mean so long mm-hmm. as you're still manufacturing offense and that line's outscored their opponents nine to four um you know you don't you don't change what's not working I wanted to get to two more, but let's do it on the other side of the break. I'll finish my five observations on the other side. Okay, sounds Hunt, good. Hunter Bruce Devish and, and Elias Pettersson oh, coming up. Yes, you were in Kitchener. I was. I went uh, to Kitchener. There's also some Pettersson potential news that uh, we mm. will pass your way on the other side. Uh, it is Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott will fill in for Jamie Dodd, along with Thomas Drance here on Sportsnet 650. Back in on Canucks Talk, Josh Elliott Wolf filling in for Jamie Dodd here with Thomas Drantz of The Athletic. Uh, we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, by the way, and Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas-like Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. So let's start with Frank Saravalli's commentary uh, that he, he got from the GM's meetings in Toronto yep. um, in his conversation with Patrick Elvin. Okay, so the quote is, uh, he was talking to, as you mentioned, Alvin at the GM meetings, and this is Alvin talking. He said, I've had conversations with Elias Pettersson's agent, Pat Brisson, and I met with his Swedish agent a couple weeks ago when he was in town. Um, we're continuing to talk there and see where things go. Hopefully, we'll get it done sooner rather than later. 
was the quote on Elias Pettersson. And then Brisson uh, spoke to Sarah Valley, just one quote. Today, he said, we continue to have conversations, but I prefer to keep things on the low key for now. A good sign. A good sign. And I think this dovetails nicely. The reason I wanted to get this out, like, you know, there was the Patterson would prefer to wait until after the season to negotiate stuff in the summer. Mm-hmm. And Alvin always insisted we, we keep talking. And now we've got Patterson's agents also like, we're talking. We want to keep it low key. Okay. Um, it's not the most rigorous update, but it's a good sign that conversations are ongoing between camps. Where I think it gets really interesting dovetails nicely with the observation I wanted to make about Pedersen from the road trip, which is that kuzmenko pedersen Mikheyev line was so far and away Vancouver's best last season, and I don't know that we've seen them hitting, like, pitching 102 miles on the on the radar gun yet. I completely agree. Right? Um, it, like, and maybe it has something to do, and maybe this is part of your observation, with Elias Pedersen not being at 100%, which is crazy because he's leading the league in points and yep. he's playing amazing, but he just doesn't feel like the Pedersen we're used to seeing. And I will say Kuzmenko as well feels like he's just – he hasn't been – and maybe it's because he he compliments Pedersen so well and Pedersen's not at 100%. Kuzmenko isn't there either, but it feels like Kuzmenko hasn't been as up to snuff as we're used to seeing. He he definitely hasn't been like a star level contributor. He still has nine points at five on five in fifteen games. Mm-hmm. Uh, his shooting percentage is still twenty percent. He hasn't regressed at all in terms he of won't. his shooting percentage. He's no. just he's only going to shoot when he can score. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean that line. Like if you go look at played ninety plus minutes together, nine goals for, nine goals against. So they're coming out even. And they're not outscoring the opposition. Um, 53-ish percent of shot attempts, they were way higher than that last season. Um, in the in the red, like b- below 50% by expected goals and, and unblocked shots. So, you know, that line hasn't been mowing down the opposition the way they did last season. And, and I sort of wonder, you know, talk, it's been very forthcoming about the fact that Pedersen's playing hobbled. We've seen him get some days off. Um... You know, I, I do wonder what role that might play if the two sides are re-engaged recently. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's mm-hmm. one thing to eschew a huge offer when you're fully healthy and you're like, I'll show them with another, you know? And, and yeah. it's another when you're looking at it and being like, well, what if I get hurt and, and I'm leaving $20 million on the table as a result? The, the flip side of that, though, is like he could – I feel like in his mind he could be like, well, I'm playing hurt and I still lead the league in points right For now. sure. For sure. But yeah. I'm just saying, it's not for me, it's not about that leverage, though. It's just about the, the certainty and the confidence that it takes to bet Fair on yourself. Yeah. And it's one thing to do it as an athlete when oh, it's all systems go, and it's another when you're not feeling like you're 100%. You know? like it, 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 that, I mean, that's the risk that you take going in and playing out a contract year the way Pedersen has decided to. So... Um, you know, you combine that factor with with the way that the team is playing and how much fun this team is clearly having at the moment, and you can understand why uh, perhaps this has fallen in a in a favorable direction for the Canucks to get a Pedersen deal done, which is essential. I mean, it's the most important business facing this franchise. So yeah, a, a nice update from Frank Saravalli. I think one that people should take some confidence out of. And I feel like the 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 more interesting part to me is 
it, it almost feels like agents are like when things are closer than they once were agents will be like oh we're not gonna talk about it too much and, and yeah and obviously brisson keeping it uh low-key yeah. so I, I i actually disagree with you i think sometimes it having covered a lot of extensions sometimes both sides start talking and taking one last public run at like things are not good right before, I, I have before, heard you say this. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this happens uh, in, in my history covering contracts. Like, there have been times where both sides will be like, well, we'll see. It's not good. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, they're about to get a deal done. Yeah. Um, the Besser one was, like, one of my favorite ones of that um, a couple summers ago, right? So we'll see. I, I mean, I, I'm I, I'm not anticipating something like tomorrow or whatever. I, I, I don't know that. I don't know that we should read that much into this, but obviously a good sign that the sides are still talking and that so much of this seems to be breaking in Vancouver's favor. Um, I am curious to see what they do with that line if they don't turn it around, though. I I kind of wonder, especially with how it's tough because he hasn't been getting minutes, but he has been playing well. Niels Hoaglander. Right. I wonder if if Kuzmank, like if they if they just want to change it up at some point and they put Hoaglander in there for Kuzmanko and, and see what he can do there. I, I, Especially because he's one of Pedersen's friends and we know how much that seems to matter. I think if Kuzmenko is removed from that line though, like where where do where do you fit him in? I think he played well on well, it's hard because you have Garland on the third line and but yeah. I, I think he played well driving a, a bottom line. I don't. When he I don't. I really don't. Like I don't think I think you lose him. And I think especially with the way that this Canucks team plays and with what Rick Tockett really values and how much he's limited Kuzmenko's minutes anyway. I think if Kuzmenko is removed from that line, you just lose him. Hmm. And and you can't afford that. No. So I, I just think it's a really tricky one to try and solve. But but that line to me, you know, and, and this is champagne problems. Like, oh, no, your top line's just coming out even. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, on, on the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge problem. Um, do you take Mikheyev off it then? No, because he's been he's, no, he's I, been great since. He's I don't been think back. this is a this isn't me coming with a proposed solution. I I just am, it's something that I'm watching. Like I, mm-hmm. I think this team, if they're going to maintain the start that they're that they're on, right? If they're if their next 16 games are going to match their first 14, I do think that top line is going to need to get back to reliably driving play and generating positive goal differential. And the other part of that as well, if they're going to keep playing at this level as a team. Uh, need some help on defense. Just an update from Randy at yep. practice. Uh, Carson Soucy week to week will be evaluated again today. Tough, but it, and it feels like every update on every injury we've gotten has been oh they're week to week. Uh, but it it is tough to see that uh, Carson Soucy is likely to miss at least a few games here. Yeah, um, and and potentially, I mean, you know, talk. It's been super honest about these. You know, mm-hmm. like even with Bluger, Bluger was week to week updated to day to day. Five days later, he's in. Yeah, it's like it's accurate. Yeah, it's like the moment Bluger went under seven days away, he was day to day. You know, like I, I, I mean, who this, was there was on the Coach Speak Index. Tockets rating like uh, trustworthiness on injury timelines is like through the roof. I believe Susie was also week to week when he had his first injury, and then that was like was it two or three weeks before he was yeah, back? It was a bit. So. Um, yeah, we'll have to see how that, how that develops. Uh, I did want to, as we were talking about Pedersen, uh, get another texting cause I know you have some thoughts on Bruce as well, but before we get yeah. to that, uh, this one from the text box unsigned at this rate, I would not be surprised if, uh, Pedersen goes the Matthews route and only signs for four years maximum. 
So when you're talking about right now, Pedersen is in the state of, hey, maybe not being 100%. You kind of want the certainty of of having a contract. Is the certainty, like, do you think he can get by with, hey, I'll, I'll lock in for four years. This team is still playing well right now. And, like, you know he's going to make a crap ton of money over those four years still. Or is that is this something where maybe you have an opportunity with how well you're starting, how well he's playing, that the long-term option is more viable than it may have seemed? Yeah, I mean, for me anyway, like, if you if you can get a four-year deal done with him, you get a four-year deal done with him. You know, the the time to do eight years was three years ago, mm-hmm. right? Like, was when he was up off his first deal. Um, but then if, if it's a four deal, four-year deal, four years from now, you're like, ah, I wish we signed him to an eight-year deal, you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe, but also you're insulated in case this team doesn't continue. You know what I mean? Like, in, yeah. Uh, and you've sort of matched his timeline with, you know, Quinn Hughes's and, and sort of Thatcher Demko's a little bit more uh, closely, right? You'd you'd basically have staggered, like, Demko expires, Hughes expires, Patterson expires. It's not as good as having, like, a lot of cost certainty, but that ship sailed two summers ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, I... I realistically i think if you're able to with every player with every player if you're able to have cost certainty and and the number that they expire at is you know 20 still even if it's late 20s i think that's better generally speaking than having a guy locked up to 33 34 where you have no idea and you're beginning to take a risk of real diminishing returns at a really high cap number uh toward the back end of that deal because you know that's what that's what really kills teams for sure um like look at the blues and like all the teams that look at the capitals right like those are if you want to sort of nosedive down the standings precipitously over over the span of two years like that's the way to do it mm-hmm. right is is have too much money locked into guys who really quickly lose it and as we've seen with like huberto and calgary right like as as we've seen with J- jamie ben and tyler sagan in dallas right like you can lose it really fast in this league it's a young I, man's game i just don't know if Patterson and it's it's hard to predict because I wouldn't have predicted it with the with the players you mentioned. I just don't know if Patterson falls in that category. Especially because if you sign him for eight years, but he's expiring when he's 33, 34. Um but it it is it's incredibly difficult to predict. It's it's one of those things though where as an analyst anyway, I think it's like your best approach is not to look for the outlier. It's to be like, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I had this argument with uh, everyone's favorite uh, Dom Lecision in the summer. <laughs> where I was really high on the Kings, and he was really low on the Kings. This was like our biggest disagreement in the Pacific Division was, is L.A. legit or not? And I said yes, and he said no. And one of one of his main reasons was their goal differential over the last few years hasn't mirrored their actual results. And the other was he didn't think they'd done enough in goal. Like, he didn't think they'd made smart bets while going cheap at the position. And I was like, but we don't know. Like, the point of not paying a guy a lot. The point of letting Corpusalo walk and just signing Cam Talbot is there's like a humility involved in being like, I actually don't know which (laughs) of these guys is good. You know, like it's one thing if you're talking about your Demko tier guys or uh, the tier up, your Shesterkin Sorokin tier guys. We know those guys are good, but there's only like four of them. Mm -hmm. Everyone else, everyone else can like vacillate wildly one season to the next. Right. And, and sometimes during the season, like, are you going to be at all surprised if Phoenix Copley, who's played terrible this year, has like two months carrying the Kings while Cam Talbot completely loses his job? Like, yeah, th- but like these guys are all are all just kind of guys. Yeah. Goalies are 
I, I feel like goalie is a different conversation. Though, they're, they're, right? they're Jarek McKinnon and, and Raheem Mostert. Like, <laughs> yes. one of them is going to go off one year, one of them is going to go off the next year, yeah. and the point is not to draft any of them high. And meanwhile, Latavius Murray is just going to keep plugging <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I, that's, that's basically the thing, is it's like, you're going to win more often than not betting on the base rate, which is that players decrease in effectiveness in their 30s, and you're not going to win every time. Sometimes there's going to be Joe Pavelski, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's going to be the guy who burns you, but for the most part, if you bet the base rate, you're going to come out way ahead of market than chasing the Joe Pavelski story. Yeah. That's, get, that's more than anything. I get you. I just, I, for me, like, I just feel like that's a... When when you're talking about players of this caliber, yeah, I just think it's more of a hey when they're in their late thirties, like with the Miller contract, we're looking at, and it's like okay that might get bad, but when they're in their early thirties, yeah. I just I have less concern. I, I just think if you look, if Pedersen wants to go eight, <laughs> get it done. If yeah. Pedersen wants to go four, get it done. Either's a win. You're kind of at the at the mercy of what he wants to do, the, for sure. The 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 risk on four is do we have to take a bigger risk later to keep this team together? But if you're making that decision then, and you've had four or five good seasons worth of hockey, like don't worry about it, you know, like keep your best guy um, if you have to. But the fact is, is that so long as you get something done, it's a win Mm -hmm. on the Pedersen front. Uh, it is Canucks talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Strantz. Did you want to get into the Bruce Devich yeah, stuff? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk Bruce Devich quickly because uh, I went up to, I went up to Kitchener and decided to do a uh, four games and four nights stretch over the weekend. So uh, Canada on Thursday, Kitchener on Friday, Toronto Saturday, Montreal Sunday. Um, grueling. Sounds exhausting. It was a lot, but it was uh, a ton of fun, and obviously always a f- ton of fun to be at the rink. Um, so Brustevich plays for this Kitchener Rangers team that is just like eating on the power play. They've got this guy, Connor uh, Rekopf, who's a um, Seattle Kraken prospect. And this guy, oh my goodness, I can't think of his name right now, but he's got a short three-letter last name. Anyway, they're, between the three of them, they are the OHL's leading scorers. <laughs> so a lot of offense coming uh, from this group. And a lot of it is on the power play. It's Matthew Sop, S-O-P. Sick um, name. Very cool. So those are the three guys who play up high for Kitchener on the power play. Um, and Brustevich, like, I saw him play on a really weird night because he had two points in the game, to, He, you know, to extend his perch as the second leading scorer in the entire OHL. Both of those assists came on plays – where they were like secondary assists and he actually left the ice before the goal was scored. So like on his first assist, he got absolutely drilled while trying to break the puck out, but got it past the defender to another player who hit another teammate off the rush. And then the same teammate who got the primary or like who would have got the primary assist if the first shot had gone in, gathered the rebound. Right, so Hunter Brustevich was still the man of of record for the right. hockey assist, the secondary assist on the play. Mm-hmm. He wasn't even on the ice by the time the puck crossed the uh, crossed the line. Same thing on his second assist, uh, a breakout pass that ends up going for a goal. So, um, you know the 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 points he picked up were not particularly dynamic, but the 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 the, dy- the dynamism of his passing game was like apparent, like. He had a really nice cross-seam feed five-on-five on on his very first shift of the game uh, for a glorious chance that his teammate, you know, didn't exactly make a meal of, to be totally honest with you. Um, On the power play, the way 
he moves the puck, the way he processes things at, at the sort of top of Kitchener's one through one pretty clear that, that his abilities as a signal caller is like a major driver of, of what you're seeing from that team in terms of all three of those guys having just outrageous scoring clips in the early going. He, he can gather passes really smoothly. The weight on his passing is straight up NHL, like straight up NHL level. Like these, these, Passes are perfectly weighted. They land and just absolutely die on his teammates' uh, skate blades. One thing about Brustevich is he's so smooth, right? Like, his game is so smooth, and and that translates to the way he defends, right? So he defends in a way that looks a little bit low intensity. And I think that's going to be something that maybe holds him back in the minds of evaluators anyway. Right, because it's like he needs to up his compete level, or he needs to. But he's just thinking the game. He's just in the right spot, knows where to be. Yeah, so I, I I don't have a huge problem with it. The 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 thing I'm curious about, like, what's the difference between Quinn Hughes and Ty Smith? There's two things, but what what's the one of the what are the two main differences between Quinn Hughes and Ty Smith? Uh, Quinn Hughes, I feel like IQ, just in general, is yeah. is far and away. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the way he it. sees the game is just at a different level than most yeah. NHL players, especially Ty Smith. <laughs> that's part of it. But I'd say I'd say it's number one skating. skating Quinn, Hughes, well. Quinn Hughes is a better skater. Yeah. And number two, Quinn Hughes passes the baseline of like, we'll take a hit, we'll wreck a guy in front of the net. Not not that we see it a lot, but like Quinn Hughes has, and and maybe he's underrated for this, frankly. But like Quinn Hughes meets that physical baseline you need to have to be an offensive defenseman in the NHL. Like he's willing to throw the body, he's willing to take the hit, he's willing to physically engage at a high enough level that even though he's never going to be like a plus physical contributor, he like has the guts to play defense in the NHL at his size. Mm-hmm. And Ty Smith doesn't meet that physical baseline. Like he's just not willing enough to do those things, and that's a big reason why he's clearing waivers, yeah. uh, despite having all the skill in the world and all the draft pedigree in the world. Brustevich, you know, his skating's going to need to improve. That's okay. He's 19. That's every 19-year-old in the history of the planet. Their skating's going to need to improve, except for McDavid, <laughs> to, to, like, really shine at the NHL level. Yeah. And then I, I don't know about the physical side. I haven't seen it enough, but that's just one thing that I, I was thinking about watching it, was, like, I'm going to need to – this guy's going to need to show – I think a little bit more just just like compete in terms of the way he defends, just more intensity so that no coaches look at him and think he's not trying. Because I don't think he's not trying, but it's it can look a little smooth as opposed to the sort of high effort stuff that tends to get rewarded by evaluators. Mm-hmm. And then that physical baseline, can he exceed that? If he can, man, I'm telling you, this guy's offensive toolkit is like right there, right there. He could be... Um, like he could absolutely, in my mind, at least be like a, a plus asset on an American League power play tomorrow. So one thing, one thing that I've kind of thought of with how well he started this year and his stock really rising in terms of like he was a third round pick. Now he obviously should have been taken higher. But if the Canucks, and I'm not saying they do believe this, but if the Canucks look at him and they're like, hey, he might be a Tysmith, but with the way he's playing right now, is he? And, and you can. You don't have to do it this year, but is he more of an asset? Is he more valuable as a trade asset than as a future Canuck? He could be, but you're not there yet anyway, yeah. right? Like, you know, he might be in consideration to make Team USA uh, at the U20s this year. Almost certainly will be on on the U20 team next year. There's some politics involved with players that 
eschew the sort of classic NCAA uh, U.S. national development team route and go to the CHL, so maybe that works against him. But, you know, there's no harm. There's no harm in giving that more time. I don't think he's, like, sell high from a value perspective yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm always very open to like wait till the guy pops at U twenty and then and then trade him unless he's an absolute no doubter. Yeah, I mean, think about think about if the Canucks had done that over the course of their history, like Hodgson. Yeah, dude. you know, like the value you could have brought into mm-hmm. the organization would have been through the roof. Now it can burn you too, as it did with Gustav Forsling. Mm-hmm. But like that that approach as a general rule isn't one that I um, reflexively don't like. In fact, quite the opposite. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at. Is I like don't do it this year, and, and maybe if. You get to a point where you got the trade deadline and there's a guy who you have a lot of cost control that, hey, Brustevich is the piece that that team really wants, then maybe you consider it. But it, it, it would have to be a trade like that for me to be like, hey, this is where you capitalize on that asset. More than anything, I think for this new front office, especially given how last year went for LaCaramacchi, to have LaCaramacchi and Brustevich, like two guys that this front office drafted, popping in the early going, like really jumping off the the score sheet in terms of their production. I think that's just like a good confidence builder for, for this fan base, especially given that this team's going to need to have some of these younger guys pushing in the years ahead if they're going to keep getting better, um, you know, given, given the underlying logic of how this team's built. Uh, so the other thing that always comes up when we talk about players like this and guys that are maybe overperforming where they were drafted is how far, and obviously we're still – not not a crazy distance into the OHL season either, but how far away would you say Brustevich is? Not not from like making a huge impact in the NHL, but potentially challenging for an NHL roster spot. Like how long? How long? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I with defensemen, I think you're hoping that it. With defensemen, you better be making it by the time you're 21, 22, or your or or the deck stacks against you. In a, in a very major way. I also just want to bring up this text from Chet in Burnaby. Um, Woodley mentioned this morning that the Canucks went from a bottom three to a top three team and setting screens and going to the front of the net. How hard did Talkit have to preach to make a mid-sized team like the Canucks storm the net like this? And and this is one this is one thing that I thought about a little bit in Toronto and, and actually over the course of this trip, like, you know, I'm increasingly leery about talking about like regression and PDO because I don't think it's like helpful for us to understand like what's happened to the Canucks over the course of the first 14 games. But to me, you know, as I sort of think through it, like one way to frame it, and I tried to write this in my column after the Leafs game was like, the way to think of it is not as bounces, but as like the things you try work and the things your opponents try don't. And, and I think that Leafs game was like a perfect example. Like the Canucks were better against the Leafs than they were against the Senators. But you yes. get reciprocal results effectively because some of the stuff the Canucks tried in, against the Senators just worked and some of the stuff the Leafs tried worked for them. One of the things, like if you think about like a mechanism for regression, one of the things that I'm most leery of buying re- really hard into is like, you know, Brock Besser has improved as a screener. He feels he has. Mm-hmm. I think he has when I watch the game. But also, the amount of goals that the Canucks are getting, and it looks like one of their forwards is just completely draped over the goalie. Like, at the end of the day, too, that's one of those things that might not be sustainable over the course of 82. Like, they've had a million good screens early, but at some point, goalies are going to start seeing around them. At some point, you're going to have the David Kampf screen go against you. Like, mm-hmm. That continually continuing to benefit you, being continually and repetitively better at screening goalies, 
to me, that's one of those things that feels like cluster luck, random distribution early in the year. I'll be pretty surprised if by the end of the season it's like, wow, the Canucks are one of the five best screening teams in the league. They might be. They might be a top 15. Like, I'm not saying they're not good at it. They've got some really good net front guys. Yeah. But that's like one of those that I'd watch for. The Canucks have had so many goals like this in the early going, so many pucks just like bouncing right for them in the crease. Storming the net is what they're doing. It's what they should keep doing. Um, whether that's repetitive skill, I, I, I'd look at that askance. I certainly don't think they're uh, bottom three like they were last year, No, uh, according to Kevin Woodley. It is Canucks talk. Uh, Josh Elliott, Wolf Thomas Drance. On the other side, Sean Gentili of The Athletic is going to join us. Uh, you can keep your tech coming in as well. 650-650. Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Canucks talk on Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stock. Josh Elliott, Wolf filling in for Jamie Dodd. Thomas Drance here with me. That might be my favorite rejoiner song. Yeah. By the way, it's, it's a, a good one. one. Yeah, it it's is a good, good one. I like it. Uh, Sean Gentili of the Athletic going to join us in a matter of moments. We'll uh, get his thoughts on the Canucks and go around the league a bit as well, including uh, the Edmonton Oilers, who won yesterday. Knobloch getting his first win as uh, Edmonton Oilers head coach. There was some iffy moments like uh, Matthew Barzal scoring in the first minute. Yep. I was like, oh, no, it's going to continue. And it didn't. No, they figured it out. They're, gonna, they're not that bad. They're not that bad. Uh, we'll get into that with Sean Gentilly, who joins us now. Uh, thanks for taking the time, Sean. How are you? Fellas, how are we doing? We are doing well. appreciate you taking the time. Um, to start here, so the Canucks coming off a of back-to-back on the weekend. Um what were your thoughts on their play this weekend? And like they kind of went into this road trip with a lot of pressure, I guess, from us because, hey, the Eastern media was going to be watching them more intently. And I don't know if they necessarily uh, showed up as much as they, they hoped they would. Uh, but what did you think of their play in, uh, in Toronto and in Ottawa as well? And Montreal, sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know. This These streaks are going to happen, right? Like, I think that was part of the part of the fun of the way they played over the first month is it's like, yeah, let's just, I don't know. I, I feel like the vibes, God, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like there were things that were happening that I think, you know, on some level people knew maybe weren't sustainable. They're not going to keep playing at a 100, you know, whatever point, whatever point pace. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I don't, they were going to so lose negative. some games at some point. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make me think any less of them, honestly. I mm. think that's, that's maybe, that's maybe the 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 big takeaway here, right? I think they're I think they're pretty good, and I think they're a lot of fun. And I don't think anything happened over the last few days to like change my personal opinion of them. I think I think good stuff happened there, even though the last couple games didn't quite go their way. That stuff happens over the course of the season. With this trip in particular, you know, um, especially out on the west coast of Canada, like going to going to play Montreal and Toronto, there's this sense that some of Vancouver's players could have really like put themselves on the map in terms of like individual award consideration. And and then of course 
Uh, I don't think any of them, maybe aside from JT Miller, were, were at their best. Um, does that matter at all, do you think? Or, or you know, is Hughes's Norris candidacy not at all dented by the fact that he maybe put in three of his worst games of the season in front of the yeah. Eastern media? I want to sit here and say that it doesn't matter at all because I think a lot of you guys play it up a little bit too much, right? <laughs> like anytime How I say anything, you? I truly like anytime I say anything remotely negative about the Canucks, like it's like, oh, you just you don't watch them. It's past your bedtime. Like, all, this, all, this stupid, all this, all this stupid stuff, honestly, and it's and it's not true. Like I, I watch them constantly. I, I, I really, really enjoy them, and I think there's a lot of uh, people with jobs similar to mine who live in the same time zone that would say the same. Like, I don't think it's like, I, it's not something that just get hand waved. Like you can't just hand wave criticism of this team and say, ah, you, you don't watch them that much, that much. Cause like, it's not true. But at the same time, the, 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 the part that, the part that is absolutely, absolutely for real, especially when it comes to Toronto is that whenever, whenever teams go there, like here, here's a great example. Last year, Nico, he he was, you know, sort of building his candidacy for the Selkie, let's say. And Jersey plays in Toronto, and we get a wave of, hey, is Nico Heischer like the next great Selkie-winning two-way defenseman in, in the NHL? Like five, six, ten people wrote the same kind of thing. So I think it does happen, you know, to some extent uh, whenever teams with high-profile players come through Toronto. But I also think that kind of ignores – uh, how much coverage the Canucks get in general, right? I think that's bigger for a team like New Jersey or a team like Dallas or a team like the Anaheim Ducks or whatever. Smaller market teams might be able to, you know, have, get players candidacy gassed up by having good games in Toronto. But like ultimately, Vancouver is in a, is in a gigantic Canadian market. They have a big leg up over a whole lot of other franchises in, in the sport, and they probably don't need you know, superstar outings from their players against the Leafs to make all that stuff stand up. With, yeah, I mean, first of all, anyone who thinks you're uh, asleep by the time Canucks game starts has never had drinks with you at Blondie's. Um, <laughs> I was, was going to say, you can, you can speak to this. I hate sleeping. What are we talking about? Um, <laughs> um, the, other, the other thing is, uh, yeah, I think that's, a, that's an interesting point. In fact, I almost wonder if the Canucks are so overcovered that it maybe works against their players, right? Like the I've often thought this with, um, you know, McDavid or like some of the Canadian awards contenders is, you know, is there almost like a fatigue that sets in because there's so many fans in every reporter's mentions insisting that it's a no-brainer that their guy should mm-hmm. win? Yeah, and I think we're we're coming at this from like kind of different from different spaces, which I think is which I think is cool. Like, do the Canucks? get coverage on par with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Like, no, of course not, but nobody does. As an American hockey fan and as an American hockey writer, I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe the Canucks aren't the number one most covered team in the sport, but they're, like, top five. Like, they like, like there's they still get a lot of attention and a lot of run relative to, like, the vast majority of American teams, say. So, so I, I don't think that there's any kind of – you know, huge disparity between the coverage they get and the coverage they deserve, even though, you know, it it doesn't match up with the Leafs. It doesn't match up with the Leafs hysteria. It doesn't match up with, you know, uh, Leafs panic and and Leafs Leafs overconfidence and and whatever the the vibes that you get 
from the media when, whenever things are going one way or another in, in Toronto. But, hey, nobody else is, man. Like, that's, that's the way it goes. They're, they're a high-profile team. They just might not be the highest-profile team. I also only be one of those. I also think what people don't understand about the Leafs, right, is, like, every day reporters descend on the Leafs yep. and ask them about what happened in the rest of the league the mm-hmm. night before. Like, the Leafs are almost covered even locally. Like they're a national team. They're covered. Everybody who covers the Leafs is like a hybrid beat slash national writer. Right. Where, yeah, yeah, they're going to. So you almost get the best or depending on how you look at it. It's like the yeah. best of both worlds or the, or the worst of both worlds, right? Where that team individually is covered, you know, un, under a pretty serious microscope. But absolutely, there's a, there's a national lens that takes place there too. It's, it's a unique, it's a unique kind of thing that, you know, I think you can maybe compare to like baseball writers in New York, right? But like, other than that, I, I don't think there's really much of an analog for for the media vibe there across sports. No, I agree with you, and I and I also think, you know, the local coverage. Like, if you're a hardcore Canucks fan, the fact that you know, like you've got radio shows that open and are like 15 minutes on like what's the impact of Carson Soucy's injury if if Akito Hirose has to play 15 games, like. You're 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 better served <laughs> than mm-hmm. than you know a, a twenty minute treatise on whether Ryan Reeves should be scratched or not. Absolutely, like I, like if, if I were a media consumer, I or in, versus like whatever. I, if I were a Canucks fan, I would feel much better served by the coverage in Vancouver of that team than if I were a Leafs fan based out of Toronto because for like for the exact reasons that you said like there is some semblance of like relevant hockey related topics that are being covered or, re- or topics relevant to the team and the on ice stuff. And at least the overall success or, or lack thereof of, of that team in a way that there isn't with the Leafs, because you do get all the, all the, all the dramatic stuff about, about Ryan Reeves or goal songs or whatever else. <laughs> right. And then you do have everybody like asking that team about any kind of league wide trend or whoever is in the going back to, Going back to, to, to Nico Heischer, like every single Leafs player that day, I guarantee you, was asked like some kind of general question about, you know, defensive play by their centers or, or, or how they think Austin Matthews stacks up against a guy like Nico Heischer as, a, as another pretty good two-way player, whatever. That's, that stuff happens every single day, right? And, and I think it happens to a degree there that just you can't really compare anything else to. Sean of the Oilers back. <laughs> Oh brother! Like, do we have any like? Do we have any doubt that like Stu Skinner's gonna go on some heater here and just make everybody forget about about the last few weeks and make Jay Woodcroft like grind his teeth into dust on on his couch? Like that just seems like the only possible outcome here is that like the goaltender play gets a little bit better. They start getting a couple bounces. You know, maybe it's not enough to get them into first or second or third place in the division by the end of the year or whatever, but, like, they're going to get better, and it's going to happen sometime soon. I don't know if I want to say that they're back yet, but, I don't know, Chris Knobloch, Coach of the Year, perhaps. <laughs> if if I'm really good, I want to be reincarnated as the new coach of a team with a 92 PDO. That's what it was. Uh, no, I don't know. Too. I don't know if it was that low, no, but like uh, that was just me being illustrative. <laughs> it might be though. It yeah, it was bad. Though. Like that's that's how bad. And look, like 
you can parcel out blame in a lot of different places. Do I think Jay Woodcroft was a perfect coach? No. Do I think that, you know, some of the stuff he did with their defensive systems was wise or that it took? No. But, man, like, let's get real here. That team is in the tank because Jack Campbell couldn't get it together. And and it's because of a decision made by Ken Holland a couple years ago that backfired dramatically. They don't have a goaltender. They're they getting league-worst goaltending, and that's, like, probably not going to sustain over the course of regular season, right? Like, Stuart Skinner might not be the dude that he was over the last couple months of last season, but he's also probably not as bad as uh, is, is what he's shown uh, over the last six weeks or so. So, yeah, I, I assume it's going to normalize. It might not be enough to save their season, but it's definitely going to be enough to make Jay Woodcroft feel very, very bad about himself. 95.4, by the way. That was their PDO and on the day Jay Woodcroft <laughs> Close was Close enough. <laughs> and then yesterday, Stuart Skinner is like, "Oh, I'll fix that. Don't worry, that's fine." <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I'm 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 good again now. Actually, yeah. I'm I'm, make, I'm making that decision. Let's go. Uh, the other thing that feels like it'll normalize in Edmonton is like Connor McDavid and and Leon Dreisaitl haven't been the McDavid and Dreisaitl we're used to, and that's just something that we knew going into every season lately for the Oilers. Like they're going to rely on these guys. That's something that also feels like is going to normalize over the course of the rest of the season here. Yeah, as long as there's not some, you know, who knows exactly how healthy McDavid is, right? Because he, he missed that time earlier. Maybe it's something that hung around. It's something he's playing himself back into shape with. You, know, you got to figure that's the hope. And then it's not some kind of thing that nags and sets him back and stops him from looking like himself <clears throat> over the course of, you know, say a, a full season. If if you and you know whatever, there's no reason to believe that either. So yeah, of course he's gonna play himself into in, into shape pretty quickly here. You'd you'd imagine. You just, if you're an Oilers fan, you cross your fingers and hope that it takes because yeah, he's everything revolves around him. God knows we know that. <laughs> what what do you think about the um, Mick GM era? I love it. I'm all for it. He should like. He should like. You know, ex- whatever. Like, pick pick new uniforms. I don't know. Like, change change the change the carpet in the dressing room. Exert exert some of that influence over like concession choices. Mm. <laughs> whatever. Just like put your put your fingerprints over everything on the organization, man. Don't stop. Don't stop at the at the on ice stuff. Like, really, really, uh, you know, t- turn it up across the board. Did Did you read anything into like? New president is McDavid's former agent. New coach is McDavid's junior coach. Um, is this because McDavid is one of one? Is this a singular thing, or is this the start of you know um, like a continuing mm-hmm. evolution of player power? In, in, you know, as sort of begun by Matthew Kachuk, furthered by Pierre Luc Dubois, and now the purest distillation. Uh, we're seeing in Edmonton from McDavid. Is this part of a trend or is this a one of one, uh, nothing to see here, McDavid special, and this is a special situation um, item for you? Yeah, this feels like a comet, doesn't it? Where you have <laughs> the caliber the caliber of player, the profile of player, the point that he's at in his career, and the market in which he plays, mm. you know, where you have Edmonton, it's a it's a small market. You know, we all we all know that. And it's also a team that's, you know, dealt with some degree of ineptitude, whether it's managerial, whether it's coaching over the course of this guy's career, right? So, which just makes, that just clears the road, right? That, that clears the road for him, to, for him to have or for them to try to keep him happy, whether it's Jeff, Jeff Jackson or Chris Malbach or whatever. 
and I don't think that's necessarily repeatable. Like if, if you have maybe, you know, 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we'll be talking about an actual generational player who is, you know, somehow managed to play eight or nine or 10 years uh, in a pretty mediocre organization that has like everything staked out on him. Like that's certainly possible, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's something you can predict and I don't think it's something you can assume happens. So yeah, I'm, I'm willing to say that this is just kind of a one-of-one situation right now. Vancouver boy Connor Bedard went so nuclear on Sunday that I turned off football, um, <laughs> which is uh, which is a real testament to how bad the Patriots Indianapolis Colts game was. <clears throat> um, but oh my God. <laughs> but um, I mean, has this guy exceeded the hype? Are we there? Mm-hmm. If we're not there, we're getting close, right? Yeah. Like I think I think it was helpful for him initially to not go supernova or have some kind of heater where like in the first eight games he scored six times and was racking up power play points or whatever. Like I think I think good as he was over that first handful of games, I do think it helped in tempering some expectations for this dude where people were starting to say, like, all right, he is eighteen years old. You know, he is uh, getting first-line minutes on a pretty terrible team. Let's maybe dial back, you know, people who thought that he was going to be a point-per-game player this season or whatever. And I think now he's benefiting from it, right, where people had a little bit of a soft reset on their expectations for him. And now we're starting to see, you know, we're seeing that that added level of comfort, you know, really across the board from him. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I think he's in a good spot here. I, I don't know. You know, it, I guess it sort of depends on where your expectations were for him. If you thought he was going to be a he was going to be a hundred point player this season, then you know maybe maybe he's still not going to hit that. But it's also really tough to watch that dude for any amount of time and think that he's doing anything wrong whatsoever. He's a blast. He is unreal. Nine goals in his first thirteen NHL games. Uh, pretty amazing stuff for the kid from North Van. All right. Sean, we're 15% or 15 games into the season. It's like 16% of the season. Let's uh, let's update it. Let's update your view from the outside, from the East Coast, with your early bedtime. <laughs> Pacific Division tears. Let's go, baby. Give me your tears. See, dude, like here's here's where here's where where you guys benefit. Is that I'm in I'm in Pittsburgh. Obviously, the only team I care about is is, is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right. They're the only games I watch. And they're and they're just coming off a California trip, so ah, you're, you're catching me at the right time. Perfect. I know, I know exactly. I know exactly what I what what I think of all these. Things. Let's just be real though. Let's just be real though. You PVR'd those games and watched them in the morning after waking up, right? You have to get rest. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm I'm early early to bed, early to rise. I got, I got my 5:30 a.m. wake up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and watch Penguins Ducks as soon as I wake up or whatever. Well, that's why you're so wealthy and wise. <laughs> it's true, as the saying goes. What's the question? Pacific Division tears. Pacific Division tears. Give me your tears, Sean. All right, um, we're going Vegas by themselves. Canucks and the Kings in tier two. Wow. I, I can't I can't quit the Edmonton Oilers. I'm I'm still I still think that they're gonna, I'm I'm it's a joke, but I I still think that they're that they're gonna have some kind of run here come, coming up. So I'll I'll put them with the Kraken behind the Canucks Kings. I love what the Ducks are doing. It's a blast. Uh, I I hope I hope they keep it up, but I think they're kind of alone. They're alone by themselves. 
the Flames get also get their own separate tier because every bit of the vibes in Calgary are just abysmal. So I, I don't want to yeah. give them credit for anything, even though they're they're third from the bottom in, in the division. And then somewhere under like whatever a concrete pad and a sheet of bedrock, and like halfway to the core of the earth is the Sharks. Still, <laughs> even even after even after the last week or so, it's still it's still wild to see how, how bad that team is. Like like one of those Simpsons shots where it's like the dinosaur tar pit and like kudos <laughs> randomly. I mean, in yeah. The... Yeah, where, where, then, where you have like the, where you have like the cross section and you go through like the tar pits and the, <laughs> and, the, and, and the dinosaur bones and stuff. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. Brutal. Uh, it does kind of you like you put the Canucks and Kings in the same tier. It feels like we're on a collision course for the uh, like if you're a Canucks mm-hmm. fan, you can obviously do it because you don't have to go to bed uh, as early as people out <laughs> east do. As Sean does, yeah. but you can watch uh, you can watch Canucks and Kings games. Um, so it feels like Canucks fans can just watch the Kings for the rest of the year to really get a preview of who they're going to be playing in the playoffs, barring anything like. I, I was, I feel like I was like high on the Kings, maybe, maybe a little bit early. Like I, I know a lot of their underlines, you know, weren't great. The last cut, the, the last, you know, as good as you would think maybe the last season, but I told I don't Dom, know, man, I, see I really, told Dom, yeah, I'm telling you, I, I was telling him. Yep. I was telling him. He it, wouldn't it, listen. Is all, it is, it is all Dom. Like he's, he's like, he's a bad influence on me. Honestly, <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. But I, I've said, I said from the jump, man, that's a real, that's a really good team. And it's, and it's really deep. And if they can get anything resembling like, middle of the road goaltending from whoever it is, whether it's Phoenix Copley or, or Cam Talbot, I think I think they're, you know, an up echelon team in the West. There's no there's no harm in being mentioned in the same breath with them if you're if, if you're the Canucks. Those are two those are two good teams. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Fifty four percent shot that Vancouver or um LA or Vegas um come second. Uh Dom Dom has it forty six combined chance that someone else <laughs> does according to his current projection. So pretty, it feels pretty good that the Canucks will play LA uh, in the playoffs. I mean, selfishly, selfishly, I hope it happens because that's like an elite first round matchup. I, I'm, I'm yeah, sure everyone there is hoping, for, hoping for a little bit better. But dude, from a from a game watching standpoint, you're not going to do much better than that in the first round. And from a beat writer travel standpoint. Get to eat tacos. <laughs> Congrats, congratulations, yeah, my thank boy. You. That's, I'm, uh, that's I'm, what matters. For you. <laughs> and, then a, and then a Canucks win would be Canucks Vegas, most likely. You'd be set up so well. Oh, oh my God. God. No, I mean, the, getting, I don't we're know. Far ahead of us. I like here. I like the LA matchup better because it's just Mole Poblano. <laughs> Vegas Vancouver sounds expensive. <laughs> yeah, right. You can you can gamble anywhere now. Who, who that's cares true. about Vegas? That's true. Whatever. I, I was I, I was there I was there for a run last year. It's you know, yeah, whatever. You're like, I've Just got, go the, I've got the apps. <laughs> <laughs> totally. uh, hey, Sean, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Always and, a blast, uh, my dude. Uh, we'll read your work at The Athletic. Thank you. Boys, thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. There's uh, Sean Gentili of The Athletic um, talking everything surrounding the Canucks. You guys love tears on this show. It's something I've come to learn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Over we my time. Tears. Over my time. Um it does feel we got a text about this earlier. Let me see if I can find it. Uh about the Kings and Canucks playing in round one. Um I also produce Canuck Central on the show, by the way. I'm not as important as Dom Shermati, who produces thirty two thoughts, in in case you didn't know. Um but <laughs> no, he, we, we know on this show, Dom, make sure to let everyone know. Yeah. Uh this Nate from Comox, I found the text here. Canuck Central guaranteeing playoffs already and saying it's almost certain the Canucks will play LA in round one. It's so insane and frustrating 
Drance, can you please bring us back to reality? I get it's been bad lately and optimism is good, but what I've been hearing lately is so insane. Well, it's not locked in. I mean, I do think people are getting ahead of themselves for a lot of reasons. One, Vegas hasn't sewn up number one. Mm -hmm. Like, Vegas, that's not guaranteed. Like, whether you think Vancouver is going to catch them or not, L.A. could. Yeah. LA, the lead's not so great that Vegas has anything sewed up. In fact, Dom Lecision's model still gives them a 39% shot of finishing second or third, and only a 55% shot of finishing first in the division. So that's not sewed up yet. Uh, Vancouver currently has a 57% shot of finishing second or third in the division, but they have a 25% shot per Dom's model of winning the division outright, which, by the way... They're priced out at like plus four fifty still, so uh, you know the the implied probability of that's a lot slimmer than twenty five percent. So some decent value there, value that I bet Dom's already picked up. Uh, but twelve percent, um, you know, twelve percent, four percent, one percent to finish outside of that. L A could absolutely, as I said, win the division still, uh, but they also have like a more than one in four chance of finishing outside the top three in, in the Pacific again, all per Dom. And, and Dom's model gives the Edmonton Oilers a 27% chance yet of upsetting the apple cart and crashing the party. So I actually do think it's too soon for the LA-Vancouver thing. But if the pecking order sort of looks like this and, and Vegas pulls away over the course of the next month and a half, I mean, I think, I think we can start having that conversation as early as they started having the Tampa Bay-Toronto conversation uh, last season. And that, but that's like mid-December. I still think yeah. we're a month out. But that's, it's not wild to, to assume it. I just think that's giving Vegas a little too much credit. They deserve some credit. They're the defending cup champs. But I think it's giving Vegas too much credit, and I think it's giving Vancouver and L.A. too little credit for their ability to close the gap, and it's giving Edmonton too little credit for their ability to get things turned around here. And especially if you're if you're really high on Vancouver. The Canucks have yet to play the Golden Knights, so four games against each other. Control your own destiny. To an extent. Oh, then now to that's a conversation I'm not ready to have. <laughs> yes. Uh, it is Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Drance. On the other side, we'll hear from Rick Tockett uh, speaking to media today, get all the injury updates and more ahead of tomorrow's game against the former captain, Bo Horvat. That's coming up next on Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Final half hour of Canucks Talk. This is Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Drance here in the Kintech studio. Keep your texts coming in 650 650. Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Butus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. Want a note? You got your mic on? Oh, man. It took me a while. Uh, Want a note? We had a text in just saying PDO isn't a good quote-unquote fancy stat it's based purely on results look at the underlying numbers outside of the goalie phenomenal um they're not phenomenal the Canucks underlying numbers are fine Mm -hmm. but there's nothing phenomenal about their underlying form that's why we've been focused on the bounces one thing I will say though is I don't think talking about PDO as anything more than like a a perception gut check like if a PDO is really high it should serve as a as a just like a correction on like okay I should watch a little more or wait for the sample to expand a bit because all the things I'm seeing work 
may be something of a mirage and and vice versa if a team's PO is really low give it a sec just give it a sec more than anything that's what it should be used for the 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 problem with the number actually is that it combines shooting percentage and save percentage which makes it less instructive than it could be like Vancouver's PDO is really high because their goaltending has been great and their shooting percentage has been off the charts well what's more likely to come back to earth when you've got Demko it's not your save percentage, although, you know, he didn't have his best game on Saturday. Like, the Canucks should, if Demko's healthy and rested the way that they've been able to rest him, um, they should have top five, top ten at worst goaltending in this league. Like, I, I believe in that. The shooting percentage, though, is where we're it's- more likely to see this team come back to earth, which is sort of one of the, like, the Toronto game to me was an instructive thing in terms of, like, what might it look like if this team regresses, and not because... They allowed five goals against, but because they scored none at even strength, mm-hmm. right? Like, is there a world where Vancouver's supporting offense cools, right? And, you know, they're pretty reliant on, like, their power play and then playing, like, low event defense to win games. Like, that's sort of what I'd expect this to look like as the sample expands with, with a particular uh, focus on Vancouver potentially struggling on the road versus at home. Um, and that's in line with sort of how I still see this team, which is probably more like a 96-point true talent team, a team that because of their hot starts, very likely to get to 100 points and, and be one of the th- top three teams in the Pacific. But nonetheless, a, sort of one of those teams that can do a few things well, has good special teams, has good goaltending, but maybe struggles a little bit more on the road and is just a monster to try and beat at home. That's kind of where I'm trending toward. But again, I'm not going to say anything definitively till I've seen 30 games. And the early results in that is a home record five zero and one away six and three. So it's right. it's trending in a similar direction. Where if you're not getting the matchups you want, maybe it's a it's a little bit more difficult to play the way you're trying to play. Should we roll Tockett? Yes. So uh, Rick Tockett speaking to media at Canucks practice today uh, talks about the injury updates and more. Here is uh, Rick Tockett from Canucks practice. Uh, maybe you can just start with the injured defenseman, Susie Myers, and maybe an update on Breezewell, if there is, and we haven't seen or heard from him in a long time. Yeah, Breeze has been skating on and off, so he's still dealing with some issues. Um, Seuss is going to get another evaluated today, but it, it'll be more week-to-week with Seuss. Um, and then we just precautionary with Mizey. I think he'll be fine, but uh, it's just precautionary, so uh, um, he looks good for tomorrow, but we'll see how he skates tomorrow. Susie, I mean, got hurt there in that final yeah. preseason game, and you thought then maybe it was week to week he was a quick healer. Can he be a quick healer again? Yeah, we'll see what the tests are. But you know, it's, yeah, it kind of sucks because I thought his game the last few four games he's been him and Mize have been coming together like as a really good pair for us. So you know, it sucks. But eighty-two games are going to get injuries, and we've been fortunate on the injury bug uh, some parts of our, our of our lineup. But you know, it, it, that's. That's where the depth's got to come. You know, that's where Abbotsford comes into play, where you know you're going to need some depth to, to fill in holes. You had a couple options in Abbotsford. I go with Rose. What's uh, the reasoning behind that? Um, well, actually, uh, it was between him and Willan, and I think Willan tweaked something. So, uh, but it was like a 50-50. You know, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, Rose has got a really good hockey, like a great, insane hockey IQ. So, uh, he's played some games. You know, you know, he's played was he double-digit games that he's played with us. So he knows he knows the system. Um, and we're not scared to play him. Outside of video, your exposure to Bo was brief uh, when you came here. Uh, Bo, oh, oh yeah, sorry. Sorry, we just. I got, Bo, I got two Bo's. You got both really I got both. That's where. What did you come to appreciate, even when you were scouting and doing pre-scouting? Okay. 
Uh, well, just, you know, just a two-way guy, you know, uh, obviously outstanding power play, the bumper. Like, you know, that was the one thing when I took the job, I was kind of salivating going, man, you know, it's hard to find, like, excellent bumpers, and he's he's that category of upper rush on bumpers. Um, you know, and his uh, overall, just overall game, you know, um, uh, scores a lot of goals around the net, a lot of tips. You know, those are playoff type of goals. There's a lot of pressure when you come back in a trade like that. Beauvillier's had his looks of late. What do you make of this I think he's around the puck. I think I liked this game last week for uh, he's on the puck. That, if he can get on the four check and strip pucks, and you know the goals will come. Um, but he's got his play inside, and I think he's been doing that lately, and that's why he's getting the looks. You know, he, he tends to when he gets in trouble is he's on the outside, and you know he's not using his body position. And I feel the last four games he's, he's using his body to shield pucks. Um, and it's working for him. So now, you know, the next step is, you know, hopefully they'll go in for him. You've always said there's never enough practice time. How, how much of the reset that you guys are able to do in games, Rick, even if it's one period you reset, how much of that is attributed to what you do on the ice on a regular basis? Yeah, we're not going to have, like, the last two weeks and the next couple of weeks, we're not going to have a lot of practice time. And, you know, I, I, the importance of practice, like, if you look at a reg, regular game, some guys probably touch puck overall the whole game, maybe 30 seconds. Some guys maybe a minute, some guys a minute and a half. And, that's why if we, you know, we had a short practice today, you know, guys, you know, long trip, five hour flight, a lot of things. So it was a 25 minute practice. Value that 25 minutes, you know, with a lot of guys were doing some touches after and before practice. I like seeing that because um, it's hard to, you know, every, every team goes through it. You know, I talked to a couple of coaches on the road and you know, they, I think one coach told me like one practice in like two weeks. So everybody gets that chunk of the season. So that's where you really got to rely on um, video or even today. We didn't do no, no video today. I thought, Guys, have, we've crammed a lot of stuff last week, so just let them get in here and get out. Where did you see all the nails when you took them out of the lineup? Well, I, I uh, just, you know, there's about three or four guys that are going to be fighting for that spot. You know, uh, you know I'm not going to have him sit in the shelf much. But uh, he's also, I, you know, like I love Nils, but he's got to be reliable. You know, the Toronto goal was a big goal that, you know, he made two big mistakes for us on that goal. And he had, you know, I like the other end, but he's got to make sure that we can rely on him in the defensive end. And that's what it's going to come down to some guys game to game. Unfortunately, we got healthy, got some healthy guys. we got some guys in Abbotsford are knocking for those positions too. And that's a good thing. Rick, it seems like every moment there's a teachable moment. I've been really impressed watching your staff last year. I know it was working on systems and training camp, but it seems every practice, every pregame skate, you're working with somebody, Adam's working with somebody, the Twins are working with somebody, Yogi's working with somebody. How valuable has that been to your success and also having their knowledge to pass on the little things? Because I've been watching your body positioning, talks on the wall. Can you just talk about that? Yeah, I, I think that you got to touch a player every day. You know, it can't just always be me or, you know, Footy or the Twins. I think, and what we do is we make sure, like, we have a meeting in the morning. Who's got this guy? Who's got that guy? Uh, what do we have to do? You know, today for me it was Lafferty because you know, poor guy. I got him in center sometimes. I got him in wing, and I felt that he needed some some tips on on taking some rims on some body position. Poor guy, you know, but he's a hybrid, right? And I told him that's why he's valuable to our team. He can play a center or wing, and he can play left wing if he has to. So um, just wanted to do some, some board stuff with him. And, and then, uh, like, Huggy was asking for – he had a couple of times where he's going down the weak side with the puck, and he felt that he could get better shots off. So you saw him after practice working on that. So that's a coach's dream when you get guys who are self-starters. The margin for error is so, so slim at this level, especially with the game being so quick. But if they can pick up something here, 
Yeah, the, the game's a half a second, right? And, uh, you know, when we're on our game or even a player knows it, if you're half a second, it doesn't seem like much, half, but it's huge in hockey, that half second. And you can practice that half second, and that's anticipation. Um, you know, I think you've got like, like, Josh, like Dakota Joshua, like where I feel his half second's been quicker the last bunch of games. Like earlier on, it wasn't. And that half second to him is an eternity. You know, he has to... If he doesn't have that half second, he looks slow. But when he does, you know, in front of the net or, you know, coming out of the corners with pucks, um, and he's been practicing at it, and that pays off. So that that's just one example. You reach him on a different level, too. I think he had 20 hits in a four-game span there. You talked about competition for jobs. Yet there's a perfect example of a guy you needed to reach, and he responds even in a physical way. Well, I mean, listen, I love the kid, and he does. We need, you know, in a Canucks jersey, we need some big bodies that can play that game you know we don't you know you got Giuseppe who plays that game and, you know you know we need him to play that game for us and I think that he's taken that to heart the last three four games there, there's a there's a there's a need for that why not knock the door down and, and, and be one of those guys there's been a, an arrest in the Adam Johnson case in uh, England I'm curious to hear your thoughts about it because it's only happened yeah. three times I didn't watch it I, I can't watch it uh, to be honest with you. so I, I it's hard for me to comment I mean it's a, such a tragedy I mean I mean I don't know how that's going to play out, but I, I couldn't watch it. I apologize, but I couldn't, I couldn't watch it. Yeah. Governors met this morning, and one of the things they talked about was possible changes to overtime. Yeah. This idea of regrouping. Right. You've seen the evolution of overtime from an all-out sprint back and forth to now it is sort of puck possession. Does it need to be changed? Is it something the league should look at? Or It's funny. Me and Patrick had dinner last week, and he told me they were going to – my feelings was they had, they, I think they had general manager meetings before that to yeah. discuss it. Um, I think you got to be careful. You know, what are you going to do now? You can't go over center. I, I think it's just like you got to be careful. I, I don't know how they're going to change it, but um, I don't know. I watch three on three. I see Mc, uh, McKinnon and I see a dry, a dry Saddle and McDavid still get their looks. We get our looks. Look at Kuzi against the Rangers. He, he got his looks. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what you can do. Maybe if you regroup it twice, you blow the whistle. I don't know. That's what they were talking about. But I, I, that's a that's a judgment call on the refs, and then you're getting all those different decisions. But I think you'd leave it alone for now. I don't know if we should we, we should take with it. Me personally. So Pedersen celebrated his 25th birthday yeah. on the weekend at the top of the NHL scoring race. Nice present for him. Um, it's kind of a big hockey milestone. Is that maturity that he's at now at 25, do you think, part of his success this season? Oh, yeah, for sure. He's a lot more uh, engaging. We had a, a line meeting with our line today. He's just so engaging now. Like, he knows, you know, he almost took over the meeting. Like, uh, maybe last year. I wasn't here much. Oh, I was only here 30 games of last year. I don't know in the past. I actually talked to Travis Green. He was a you know, very quiet guy. But definitely a guy that... Uh, you know, he'll take over a meeting with that line, which I love to see. I actually told him, he you should run the meeting sometimes because, you know, you have that credibility. Plus, you know, if you see something, go for it. And I think that's maturity. I'm being 25. I think he wants that leadership role. There is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett at practice today. Holding court. <laughs> talking for a while. Providing injury updates. Uh, one interesting note there regarding, so Akita Hirose called up today. He did say it was kind of 50-50 between him and Christian Wolanin. Uh, originally, I, th- I think I thought that it was more waiver-related with calling mm, up too. Hirose. But uh, may have tweaked something in Abbotsford. So That's tough, huh? Bad bad timing for Christian Wolanin, who is like massively outplayed Hirose, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
Hirose was, I thought, really struggled in the first few games of the season. Right? He played against uh did he play against Edmonton and Philly? Yeah. Like like him and Juleson really struggled in those two games in my memory. They together at least definitely weren't good. I mean, last year we saw Hirose with Myers, and I think there were there were moments where they yeah. were passable. It, uh, it's, I w- it's amazing. Every summer we get so excited about a guy who like had a good cameo. Like remember we did it for years, like t- two summers in a row about Jack Rathbone and then Akito Hirose. Like you couldn't pencil in a Canucks lineup without Akito Hirose. Yeah. You know, if you told fans like, "Hey, Akito Hirose, it's not going to work," and the team is going to instead trade for Mark Friedman, and he's going to be the guy. Uh, and not the guy playing with Hughes, like the guy just playing on the third pair, people would have gotten so mad in July. Yes. So mad. But Very, very mad. I mean, look, Kido Hirose is 24. He, he, he looked like he belonged in the NHL, but the underlying form down the stretch last season was, like, deeply concerning. Um, wasn't in the best shape at training camp, really didn't stand out, really didn't get much of a look, and then he hasn't exactly taken the world by storm in the American League. Like, there's no. a big gap between, like, Christian Wolanin, who I think is a guy who can give you NHL games, and Akito Hirose, who I think right now is an AHL player who can maybe give you some, give you a week of a worth of NHL games. Like, there's a big gap in quality there. So, I don't think, despite what Tockett said, that you're, you should write off waivers and, and waiver availability as, like, a factor. Yeah. Right? Um, but if it is week to week, I mean, clearly Hirose is going to get a look here and the Canucks are going to need him to play well. Uh, the other thing, uh, Taka mentioned on Tyler Myers says, uh, precautionary think he will be fine. So yeah, that matches what, with what I said about Myers's mood after the Montreal game, right? Where it's like, he was clearly not feeling great, but he didn't have the mark uh, or like the, he didn't have the look about him like a player who just sustained a significant injury and was like, oh, man, it's I'm tough. facing a rehab. Yeah. And like, so, you know, managing his pitch count effectively, right? Giving him some practices off, letting him kind of play through it. Um, that's all consistent, I think, with with what I saw and, and what I sort of heard from Myers after the game in Montreal. Uh, so we don't have a crazy amount of time, but tomorrow, I'm sure you'll, you'll get into this a lot on the show as well. But tomorrow, the return of former captain, Bo Horvat with the New York Islanders. Yeah. Uh, the main talk around the city has been regarding will he get cheers? Will he get boos? He's going to get cheers. He's going to get cheers. I think he's going to get like polite, restrained tier- uh, cheers. I don't. It's not going to be like. like He might get booed when he touches the puck, but he's not going to get booed when the club plays like that welcome back video. In the first, Does that make sense? Yeah, in the first commercial. I think it's going to. I think you might see both, maybe. Yeah. I like. I think what would be worse, and I was kind of like joking about a pre-show, is like, what if there's just no reaction? There will be a reaction. But I just wonder if people are kind of apathetic to Horvat leaving and Horvat as as a captain in Vancouver, you know? In terms of like, they, I, I think people were, have latched on to this group. Even when Horvat was here more, people latched on more to Pedersen and Hughes as like the guys and Horvat was there he was the captain he was a leader but I don't know if people were like if Pedersen no, left in the in the, in the bubble back, in the bubble when Horvat was scoring those big goals like it was like the Horvat Pedersen because Miller was seen as just like a really good fitting supporting piece then so it was like Horvat Pedersen Hughes Demko and they were getting like Chicago Blackhawks comparisons but Horvat crushed right. it against yeah, the Flames in the playoffs that 18 year old Sam Bennett 
um, run, Horvat was like the Canucks answer to that. You mm-hmm. know, Canucks fans got their chest up watching the Oilers play the Canucks, and people would be like, "No, you know, the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast won't stop talking about Ryan Nugent Hopkins, but Bo Horvat's been just as impressive. Like, this guy mattered in this market for a long time. He's like top 10 in franchise history in, in a bunch of key categories, and he mm-hmm. represented this franchise with, like, real class through its leanest years. I mean, look, you you – He's not like the perfect player or anything. He's not a superstar, but he's just a good, credible, top of the lineup centerman who can do an awful lot of good to help you win. Um, and he played his best hockey whenever the chips were down in Vancouver, and it just sucked that the chips weren't down more frequently. Right? I will say, I'm not going to come on here and be like, oh, I'm going to be so disappointed in Vancouver if they boo him. Because I, I just, uh, I just don't think they're going to. Sure, I'm not going to be disappointed. Like, my my opinion is. There's no wrong way to be a fan. Um, you know, if fans feel the need to boo Bo Horvat, I'm not going to be shaking my finger at anyone who paid ticket price and is at the arena rooting the way they want to root for. Like, I think know, it'd be kind of fun, to be honest. Yeah, it's fine. It's it, it's fine. Like, I you know, I, I'll be surprised if that's how it's done. I'll be very surprised if that's how it goes down. But you might you might hear some scattered boos and whatever. I don't I don't think there's like a right way or a wrong way to do it. I think Horvat deserves a warm reception based on what he brought to this franchise. He carried himself as well as possible. And the idea that a guy who was like this quality representative of the franchise for a decade undid that because he made one unwise comment, um, you know, after an emotional win, I like to me, that's absurd. Like, I just, I, I don't see the logic for it, but this, this like, trend we're in of fans like finger or players finger waving at fans like the kachuk thing like oh yeah. we don't deserve to get booed it's like come on yeah you, you embrace you, it honestly i you, love it you put an entertaining enough product on the ice that the fans cheer mm-hmm. or they'll entertain themselves by booing yeah like that's it mm-hmm. that's it so if the fans decide to bow 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 horvat or bow bow horvat the fans decide bow to em. boo bow no, they're not booing they're bowing if <laughs> Oh, that's a really good tweet that you burned on the radio. I'm um, sorry. It's okay. Um, I'll uh, no, you know what? I'll use it again tomorrow. Yeah, Bo Burns, Bo Burns. Save it in your drafts. Um, <laughs> I was saying Bo Burns. <laughs> um, I just don't think I don't think fans are going to boo Bo Horvat. I I really think the I, I'll be surprised. I'll be surprised. I won't be upset in any way but i will be surprised i think bo horvat gets like a polite warm reception and then maybe gets booed when he has the puck so we talk about him as a as a guy for for a while you mentioned the the when they played against the flames in the playoffs there he was kind of one of the only shining lights for for a few years there before brock besser came in and Pedersen and you trade for miller you do all that is he a ring of honor candidate in your eyes top 10 in scoring in the in the franchise history 420 points in 621 games yeah so fringes yeah by the way so the top seven uh in canucks history have all either been had their number retired or in the ring of Honor. and then who's what about eight and nine uh eight and nine is tony tanti and todd bertuzzi yeah i know i so then he's below the cutoff mm-hmm. but i think if he'd signed another deal if he'd signed another deal he would have been a slam dunk ring of honor guy. And that's like part of what didn't, you know, when the club and him couldn't come to terms, right? Partly it's because the club were low, were, you know, didn't come up to the level that he felt he earned. Fair credit to him. Like, go get paid, young man. 
but also like there was an opportunity to come together on a team friendly deal and part of his legacy then would be that he's in the ring of honor you know what i mean like he would if Bo Horvat played three, four hundred games more for this franchise, it would have been a slam dunk. For like sure. his resume would have been bulletproof. Well, that's part of what you're selling when you negotiate with a player, and part of what he probably turned down when he decided that he didn't want to do that. When when he decided that they weren't properly valuing him. So I don't think he's a Ring of Honor guy. Um but but I think he did a totally stand up job as captain and I, I think he should I think he should get a warm reception when he's recognized on the Jumbotron, and if he's booed when he ha- when he carries the puck, I think that's pretty funny. That's what I expect from Canucks fans. Plus, I think if you're going to uh, put someone in the Ring of Honor from that era, which probably isn't an era you want to remember too much, it's probably Edler, right? Oh, but Edler's a slam dunk. Yeah. Edler's uh, a slam but dunk. But it just, like, covers the same time frame, so I just don't feel yeah. the like, – because they kind of have a guy up there for every era of Canucks hockey. Right. Um, yeah, and, no, we don't need to remember this era, and, no. and Edler will go up more for his contributions during the Sedin years. Yes, for and, sure. And as he should. I mean, Edler, Edler is a slam dunk. Horvat, I, I think – I don't, I don't I don't know. I don't think there's any real question. I guess the only way that that would change for me is, like, you know, you don't know what the future holds in terms of, you know, are, are we sitting around in 2045 – you know, uh, broadcasting on like 3D radio, where you like can also smell the hosts. Uh, no one wants that. <laughs> That's awful. That's the worst <laughs> sense to add to a radio. I was just trying to do like smell a vision. Anyway, um, you know, and and Horvat like is a coach or a GM. You know, like maybe if he has a second act, yeah, down the you. line. But I but I don't think on as a player exclusively because of his his time as a player uh, in the Vancouver market, like you know. He didn't play. He didn't play long enough, and he didn't do enough, and that is what it is. Uh, this has been Canuck Stock. Appreciate everyone listening, everyone chiming in on the six fifty six fifty Dunbar Lumber Tax Line. Thanks to Dom Shermati, Victor Gaucher, Intern Joseph, uh, all producing this show today. I have been Josh Elliott, Wolf filling in for Jamie Dodd. This has been Canuck Stock on Sportsnet six fifty, and Lena.